Why does God allow evil? That's the question that we're going to be answering today on the Good News for Jehovah's Witnesses podcast. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Good News for Jehovah's Witnesses podcast. Hope you all had a good Christmas season. Uh, as you know, I didn't post another episode last month, but that's because I just want to relax and enjoy uh, the holidays with my wife. And hope you're relaxed and ready for a new year. In the last episode, I interviewed Nadia and her story growing up as a Jehovah's Witness. And she one of the things that she touched on was the sexual abuse that she went through when she was a JW. And she was going over how the elders did their own private investigation. It wasn't reported to uh, the authorities or anything. And uh, Nadia explained how this really led her to struggle with the Christian faith altogether, uh, faith, faith in God altogether. And what I wanted to do today is really touch on um, the problem of evil, because this is really far too common in the organization. Um, you know, Nadia's story, unfortunately, is very common when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses and people that have uh, been hurt. You know, in the notes uh, for this episode, I'm going to attach a link for a website um, where you can watch, ac- you can actually watch a documentary ca- called The Witnesses. Uh, this documentary is put together by a private by private investigators who have nothing to do with the organization. They do all kinds of um, investigations and they have nothing to do with, again, nothing to do with the Watchtower. And they've done a lot of work over the years on everything going on uh, in the Watchtower. And it shed, the documentary sheds so much light on how the governing body has tried to hide all the sexual abuse that's been going on over the years. Um, it also touches on, you know, there's over a thousand cases over in Australia that didn't have not gotten reported to the authorities over the years. Um, and that's just Australia, over a thousand cases over there uh, that they're dealing with. Um, so really needless to say, there's a lot going on. There's been a lot going on over the years and it's all coming to light now. You know, if you Google, uh, you know, if you go to Google and you search sexual abuse and Jehovah's Witnesses, you're going to see a lot of different cases that uh, have been going on. Um, there's a, the governing body, the Watchtower, they're just paying all kinds of set, millions of dollars in settlements. And you can actually Google that and see that for yourself. It's everyone from Fox News, CNN, a lot of uh, news agencies that have nothing to do with the Jehovah's Witnesses that are talking about this. If you're a JW, you know, it's one thing if it was Christian um, news outlets or something that was talking about it, but random news agencies that have nothing to do with the Jehovah's Witnesses or religion, even they're talking about this because this is a real thing now. And because of all the money that they're that they have to pay in all the settlements now, they've sold a lot of Kingdom Halls, they've moved out of Brooklyn, New York, um, there's a lot of changes they've made. They've gone pretty much paperless now. Um, they've had to make a lot of changes because of all these settlements that they have to pay. Again, look at the documentary. 
The Witnesses is the documentary. I will attach that in the notes so you can watch that yourself. But again, because of all this going on in the organization and so many people that have just gotten hurt over the years, um, you know, people like Nadia who, you know, go, th- go through sexual abuse, they just believe that, you know, they struggle with the faith altogether. They believe that there is no creator, there is no God. Either there is no God or he isn't a loving God because he lets this happen. So that's really why people end up leaving uh, the faith altogether, you know, not not even believing in God. So what I want to do for this episode is touch on the question that people struggle with when they leave the organization, and that's why does God allow evil? Um, you know, because so many people ha- have struggled with this question, I just want to spend some time on this topic. Uh, but before I continue... My only request to anyone struggling with this question is to listen to the entire episode here. Uh, there will be a few things you're, that you've probably heard of before, but there will be plenty you haven't heard of before too. And if you still have questions, you know, send them over. You can send them over at info at goodnewsforjws.com. And I might just respond to you personally, or I will put it into a future episode as well. I can do that. But again, listen to the entire episode, and I will have a few questions for you at the end as well. Now, one of the reasons why this is a difficult topic is because there are different angles we have to look at when we answer this question. Whenever people try to answer this question, it usually answer it usually gets answered philosophically. And most of the time, that's a mistake because it can make matters worse, you know. For example, when I was working on my Christian ministries degree over at Bethel, um, you know, I, I don't remember how it came up, but there was a class where a girl in there was, you know, we were talking about the problem of evil and one of, one of the girls in there was talking about, uh, you know, how she was just mad at God and, um, because it turned out that her fiance died because of a drunk driver and, you know, she just didn't understand why God didn't interfere. Why didn't God, you know, do something? He's all powerful. He could have done anything. And myself and others, we, you know, we're just trying to answer the question saying, you know, talking about free will and everything, a few things we went over, but, you know, it didn't matter what we said. I could tell nothing was good enough for her. She wasn't responding, but nothing was good enough for her. Well, for the rest of class that day, I was just thinking to myself, really, why is she having such a hard time with this? In my mind, I was thinking, if she really is a born-again Christian, if she really does believe that um, God is the creator and she believes in the Bible and she's born again, like, why is she struggling so hard with this question? Shouldn't she just trust that God had a reason or something? Where's the tr- Where's the trust, really? That's what I was thinking at the time. So a few years later now, I'm attending Biola University and working on my master's in Christian apologetics. And one of my professors shared a story that sheds so much light on this topic here. Um, you know, one of my professors shared a story about how he attended a youth convention. And, you know, at youth conventions, there's just a few thousand people inside of a big auditorium. And after, Right after it was all done and everybody's walking out, everybody's trying to get to their cars, everyone's trying to get out. 
right in front of him, he witnessed a car just backing right over a kid and killing him instantly. And the mother witnessed the whole thing. And of course, she's going nuts, right? Well, she's going nuts. Everybody's just, you know, staring like, what do we do? Well, there was actually a youth pastor that walked up to that mother and was trying to calm her down and said, hey, ma'am, ma'am, calm down. God can use this for good. Now, what that youth pastor said was true, but that is not what she needed to hear. So the whole point of my professor here is that emotionally driven questions do not deserve philosophical answers. And as soon as he shared that story, I remember that girl over at Bethel, and I'm like, that's it. That's exactly why nothing was good enough for her. It wasn't a philosophical issue. It was emo- It was emotional for her. So in other words, her struggles were emotional, not philosophical. And that's why we missed the mark, because we were answering them in a philosophical way. So... If I could do that all over again, have that conversation all over again with her, you know, I would, you know, offer her prayer. Romans 12, 15 comes to my mind where we, we are to weep with those who weep, but I wouldn't be answering it in a philosophical way anymore. And that, that's what a lot of people struggle with here because when something goes wrong, when people, um, you know, when there's sexual abuse like Nadia's, for, Nadia's story, for example, those are all emotional struggles there. Now, there can be questions philosophically like, how could God let this happen? But it's so much of that's emotionally driven. And when we try to answer that, those questions philosophically, we're really missing the mark. So whenever people ask, why does God allow evil? It's important to ask why they're asking that question. Because if it's emotional, you need to deal with it emotionally. But if it's a philosophical question, then you can deal with that. You can answer the question in a philosophical way. But again, that's a big side to this debate that's really overlooked, the emotional side, the emotional problem of evil. Now, the philosophical side has a, is a whole different debate here. Um, there's a lot of different reasons that people give when it comes to why God allows evil. Today, I'm just going to touch on three of those reasons. I will recommend a book later on where you can look further into this if you'd like. But today I'm just going to touch on three reasons why God allows evil. The first reason is the one that most people have heard of before in some way or another, and that's free will. Uh, God does allow evil because we could not truly be free without free will. Now, if you disagree, here's the question that I have for you. How can God stop evil? without taking away our free will? He, here's the answer. He can't. God cannot stop evil without taking away our free will. Some critics claim that this would mean that God is not all-powerful. In other words, if God, can't do it, if God can't do anything, he is not all-powerful. He's supposed to be able to do anything if he's God. But this is not true. God cannot do anything. There are things that God cannot do. For example, he cannot create a circle with four corners. If it has four corners, then it's not really a circle. It's a contradiction. He, cannot, he also can't create a one-ended stick. These are logical contradictions, and ha- it, they have nothing to do with power. 
nothing to do with power. Something else God cannot do is change. God is already perfect. He's God is already moral. So that would mean that the only way God could change is to go down to be immoral. So God cannot change. And again, none of these things have anything to do with power. It's the same thing with free will. God is unable to stop evil without taking away our free will. And it doesn't have anything to do with power. What it does mean is that God is not going to make you choose him. If you don't want to spend eternity with God, you don't have to spend eternity with God. That free choice is yours. So that's the first reason God allows evil, free will. The second reason God allows evil is to advance the gospel. God allows evil to advance the gospel. If you read through the New Testament, you'll see a number of examples like this. Paul's life especially, um, in for, in Philippians uh, 1.12, where Paul ta- talks about the suffering that he went through, he says in verse 12, everything that has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And another example is in Galatians 4.13, where he says, you know that it was because of an illness that I preached the gospel to you. So Paul was able to preach the gospel at the right place, at the right time, all because of an illness. If you ask me, an illness is a small price to pay for someone to know God and be saved. My favorite example here is in John chapter 9 with the blind man. As Jesus and the disciples were passing by a blind man, they, the disciples asked him, Who sinned that this man was born blind, the, the man or his parents? And in verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not because this man or his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And after Jesus healed the man, no one could deny what happened. He was born blind. He was always begging in the same place. Everyone knew who he was and that everyone knew who he was and that he was born blind. But after Jesus healed him, the Jews, the Pharisees, no one could deny the work of God. God can use these things for good. And, you know, I've had the privilege of witnessing a miracle kind of similar to this myself. Um, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, still attend uh, Pentecostal church to this day. And back in elementary school, I remember that every year, every summer for a whole week, all the Pentecostal churches would get together for church camp. So same age group and we would have some pretty long services, I remember. They'd be about two and a half, three hours long at the end of the day. Um, so it was some pretty long services. And a topic that we always talked about every single summer at every age was miracles, because Pentecostals are very big on prayer, very big on miracles. And I remember there was one summer where there was a one of the youth pastors there, not at my church, but one of the other churches, there was a youth pastor who was in a wheelchair the whole the whole entire week in a wheelchair. And on Thursday night, the last night that we're having service, we were talking about miracles. And when, there was probably like only a half hour left in service. It was at the end. And, there, you know, we're doing worship. We're praying. We're praying for healing. We're praying for uh, just everything. And I remember... Uh, while we were while we were worshiping, there was, the lady was actually in the front and on the ground, and a few people were praying for her. And they were at, 
somebody had a towel or something and was just waving it in her face because apparently she was just sweating like crazy. And about uh, just one minute after I witnessed her on the ground, she got up all on her own. And again, this is a youth pastor who's been in a wheelchair paralyzed for years. And then suddenly she's able to get up all on her own. And after that, there was no denying what happened. So the two options really was one, to admit that she was healed and miracles are happening. There is a creator. There is a miracle worker. Or two, she faked it for so many years. I don't know about you, but I believe that the first one is the more likely option. So again, God uses evil to advance the gospel. That's number two. And finally, number three is because getting rich and being healthy is not the meaning of life. Okay, being rich, getting healthy, that is not the meaning of life. Look, if getting rich and being perfectly healthy was the meaning of life, then yeah, you know, why would God take that away? I can understand why it would be hard to believe there could be a loving God when he's taking all these things away if getting rich and being perfectly healthy was the meaning of life. But here's the thing, that's not the meaning of life. If Christianity is true, if Jesus died for our sins, if heaven and hell are real, then the meaning of life is to know God and to make him known. The meaning of life is to know God and to make him known. So when people suffer, you know what happens? They start asking questions about God. They start conversations about him. Go talk to any pastor at almost any church, and they will be able to give you example after example of people who came to them after life wasn't so perfect. This is exactly why Walter Martin once said, Some people will not look up at God until they are flat on their backs. So in the end, why does God allow evil? Because heaven is all that matters. Why does God allow people to be born blind? Because heaven is all that matters, not health and wealth. Why do people suffer in this life? Because heaven is all that matters. And let's keep in mind, God is going to get rid of evil. In Revelations 21 and 22, it talks about the new Jerusalem and the return of Christ. So there will be a time where God separates the sheep from the goats and gets rid of evil. So instead of asking, why does God allow evil? You need to be asking yourself, how are you going to respond? It is your choice if you want to repent and trust in Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. It is also your choice if you want to want nothing to do with him. He will put you up in a position to look up at him, but the free decision in the end is yours. If you have any objections to anything I said, remember the one question I have for you is, how can God stop evil without taking away our free will? That's one. And the other thing is, what's the meaning of life? Because whenever atheists complain about God, you know, not doing this, not doing that, the money, finances aren't good, or health isn't good, you're presupposing that those things are the meaning of life. Where is this coming from? Who told you that getting rich and being healthy was the meaning of life? Those are my questions for you. All right. Now, the book that I'm going to recommend is my favorite book that I used over at seminary. It's 
Why Does God Allow Evil and Suffering by Dr. Clay Jones. Uh, he taught the class on why God allows evil over there. And you know, I think this is the best book on, and it was only written a few years ago. So I think this is the best book on why God allows evil. A lot of, there's been a lot of different books. Some are also pretty difficult to understand, but the one, why does God allow, why does God allow evil by Clay Jones? That's the best book, I think, when it comes to the problem of evil. And again, just written a few years ago. So, so a bit more modern too. And finally, last thing, it, for anyone who, you know, has a story similar to Nadia, you have gone through something, you know, maybe it's sexual abuse with the organization. You've been hurt in another way. All I can, all I can say to you is I'm sorry. I'm sorry that, th- that those things happened. I'm sorry that everything know, that you have to, that you have to go through and that you have to work through for the rest of your life. And remember that the watchtower does not, does not represent God because it's a, it's a man-made religion. So everything about it has nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christ and nothing to do with reality. So just remember, you didn't give Jesus Christ a chance. You gave the watchtower a chance, man, a man-made religion, the governing body. In Christianity, you put your faith in Christ, not man. All right. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. And if you have questions about other things, whether it's, um, it can be anything from the Bible, anything about Christianity and religion, you can send over those questions. Cause as you can see, we'll, we will take time, uh, to go over different topics that are relatable to people who, you know, have left the organization. And maybe there's different questions that you're struggling with. So just send those over, bring the, bring them to our attention, and eventually we'll touch on them. But if you have any questions or comments, again, send them over to info at goodnewsforjws.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Good News for Jehovah's Witnesses podcast. To learn more about us, you can visit us online at goodnewsforjws.com. That's goodnewsforjws.com.